Hey everybody, thanks for checking out the Glendale Road Church of Christ podcast. You're welcome to join us anytime you're around. We are at 1101 Glendale Road in Murray, Kentucky. We meet for worship every Sunday morning at 9 a.m., followed by our Bible study at 10 a.m., and we come back every Sunday evening for a bonus worship hour at 6 p.m. Also, every midweek on Wednesday at 7 p.m., we have a Bible study. You'd be welcome to join us. We'll be sure to save a seat for you. Now, here's this week's sermon. This morning's reading comes from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. Therefore, humble yourselves under the almighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. You may be seated. God is good all the time. I was looking at just our records, and since June, uh, even up to this point, there there have been eight people who have professed their faith in Jesus and put him on in baptism. That's good news. Very good news. And, um, well, let's just keep it up, shall we? Keep on sharing the good news, spreading the gospel, encouraging people, talking to friends and neighbors. Worst they can say is no, and if they do, okay, we've we've tried. Uh, Some people, however, are going through very difficult times. Gary mentioned this morning uh, Mike Forgey, and I spoke to him this morning too. Uh, His his mother had her stroke, and uh, his daughter is is dealing with cancer and those uh, side effects from her treatment. Now, you may not know this, but Mike has already, in previous years, lost another child and a grandchild. I can only imagine, I've never been in his shoes, but I can only imagine how difficult things must be right now. And he's not the only one who's facing difficulties on multiple fronts. Some people have relatives they're caring for and other relatives that they're having to take to uh, appointments. It... Christians aren't immune from stress, from anxiety, depression, or even despair. Up to this point in 1 Peter, a few chapters before we get to chapter 5, Peter's talking about suffering. He's talking about suffering, first of all, for good and for wrong. You know, many of the Christians in this area that he wrote to, they were suffering because they were doing good. And sometimes you think, well, if I'm suffering because of it, maybe it's not that good. But he reminds them that that isn't the case at all. And he goes in to the end of chapter 3, all the way into chapter 4, and he talks about how Jesus suffered and how our suffering is somewhat identifiable with Jesus. And so he urges from there that we serve for God's glory and that we suffer for God's glory. So you get to this point in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. I think that's something we need to remember as much as they needed to be reminded of it then. God cares. And God cares, yes, about our salvation. He cares about us being forgiven from sin, but he also cares about the things that bother us on a daily basis. The things that may sometimes cause us to lose sleep, that may really run us down and even cause us to despair of life. 
And there are a few examples in Scripture of God's people who have despaired of life because of life's circumstances. The first one we'll look at is Rebecca. She said to her husband Isaac, I'm weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob takes a wife of the daughters of Heth, like these who are the daughters of the land, what good will my life be to me? So Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padan Aram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. Rebekah had a parenting problem. She wanted her son to marry well. I think every parent can understand that, right? You want your children to marry someone who's going to be good to them, that they're going to be good for. Our rule has always been, marry someone who's going to draw you closer to God, not take you farther from Him. So obviously we would hope for Christian spouses. Now, let me mention this. Someone asked me, um, I won't say Marilyn Thornton's name though. She asked me a week or two ago, she said, has your son-in-law been baptized yet? I said, wait a minute, he's not my son-in-law. Let's get that straight. But at the time, no, he hadn't, but John was uh, this last week. But I thought, man, she's jumping the gun on this. But, you know, you want your children to marry well. You want them to marry people that, as I said, at least for us, they're going to draw them closer to God and not take them farther away. They're going to love for them and care for them in all seasons of life. Someone they can build a house with, a family with, someone they can be happy with. And Rebecca had the same concern. She had this parenting problem, right? In the end, you do your best to equip them and you hope they choose well, but sometimes they do choose well, and then the person turns out to be someone else as the relationship progresses. But she didn't want her son marrying a daughter of Heth. Now, you would have to read and study more deeply to determine why that is. But suffice it to say, in those times, you usually wanted to keep your family somewhat within your tribal community. And, you know, is there the, 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 what we would call the, the, the possibility of inbreeding and things like that? They had their ways of, of fleshing that out. Of course, if you read Scripture, you know that Abraham and Sarah were half-brother and sister. And they were married. And, yeah, most of us, that's repulsive. But we don't focus on that fact when we look at the story. So Rebecca had a parenting problem. This parenting problem led her to be weary of life because of these daughters of Heth. How many of you have ever said to your sons or to your daughters, well, at least in this case of your sons, you don't need to to hang around with girls like that. Or you don't need to go around with boys like that or things. So when I was a teenager and I drove, you know, before I met Stephanie, of course, and she straightened me out, uh, we would... Several of us as a group of friends would, would, would go out and do things. We'd go to the movies. We'd go, uh, they would want to go to the fair. I would just walk through. I, I've never been on a roller coaster. have no desire to do so. Uh, but I would go, you know, just to be with your friends. And we were going somewhere, uh, a buddy of mine and a friend of ours who was a girl. And my dad said, you don't need to take her with y'all. I said, well, why? Now, this is my old-fashioned daddy. He said, it doesn't look becoming of a young lady to be alone with boys. Y'all probably think that's nuts, don't you? That was it. So guess what? 
we told her, do you have a friend that you can bring? You know, and she did. And so she was allowed to go with us. But daddy said, you and your friend don't need to go with this girl alone. It, it's unbecoming. It doesn't look good. Now, these days, everything goes. But then that wasn't so much the case. Well, she wanted Jacob to marry. And obviously, as we know how the story turns out, Jacob did marry. Now, he was duped into marrying the first wife, Leah. Uh, he wanted to marry Rachel. Rachel was beautiful. She just, she just had his heart from the get-go. But Rachel was the younger of the two daughters. And so when the wedding day came, Leah was the one that was standing across from him when you know the, the preacher said, Amen, and the two shall be one, or whatever the case was. Now, most of us are going, how was he duped? How could he not see that was Leah? Well, in the ancient East, they wore veils that covered the full face. You could prob she probably could have only seen out an area that was clear for her eyes. So, you know, it would have been easy to get him that way. Uh, whereas today, you know, and, and, and even in tradition, usually when a bride comes down the aisle, her face is covered with a veil. When she gets to her groom, the veil is removed. And I, maybe the veil's removed so that, you know, people aren't duped like what Jacob was. But anyway, so he married Leah, then he married Rachel, but it stayed within that family, within that tribe. So, but you notice that she wearied of life. And if Jacob took a wife from these daughters, what good is my life to me? Now, some of you may go, well, she just needs to chill out a bit. Well, maybe. But maybe also we should take marriage a lot more seriously than what we do. Okay, here's another example. Moses said to the Lord, why have you afflicted your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight? That you have laid the burden of all these people on me. I'm not able to hear, uh, to bear all these people alone because the burden's too heavy for me. If you treat me like this, please kill me here and now. If I have found favor in your sight and do not let me see my wretchedness. I think that ought to tell you something about being in a position where you're trying to lead a group of people. It's not easy. And when you read through the book of Numbers, all they did was complain. And I love it because they all complained, but nobody had a solution. Don't you love those kind of people? Hey, I got to tell you something. I got a bone to pick with you. I got this problem, that problem, and the other. What's your solution? No, that's for you to figure out. Or when people come to you with a problem and they just, you got to fix it right then and there. Poor planning on your part doesn't constitute an emergency on my part. Right? At least that's the rule I live by. Or when someone complains, well, y'all haven't called and checked on me. Okay, that may be so. Maybe we haven't. And I'm sorry for that. Uh, when's the last time you called and checked on someone? Now, if you're good about it, then I'll just, look, we've messed up. Okay, well, you know. But some people, they find their legitimacy in, I don't know, being pampered or looked after. Or whatever the case is. Moses was dealing with all this, but on a greater scale. He had millions of people that he was having to lead around. And they weren't making his job easier. They were making it more difficult. I hope that you do whatever you can, that when you go to one of the elders, that the only time you ever go to talk to one of the elders isn't because you got something to complain about. 
The elders are a lot nicer than I am because I'd probably bear it once or twice and then I'd have something to say about it. Here's the thing in my mind. If you're always coming and there's something wrong here or there's something wrong there or there's something wrong here, I'm inclined to believe that these things aren't wrong so much as you're the problem. That's my personal belief. Could I be wrong? Yes, but I also could be right. So when you go to the elders, maybe sometime tell them that you're praying for them. Tell them that they're doing a good job or ask them, is there anything I can do to help? Because I have an idea and nobody said anything to me. I just know how churches can be. But if you only ever go to them to complain, well, I'll just hold my tongue. Moses was dealing with the weight of a nation. People that were ungrateful, people that always had something to complain about. No wonder he said, I didn't bear these people. And if this is how you're going to do with me, just kill me now. Just kill me now. He was exhausted from it. He was tired of it. He was done with it. But Moses wasn't the only one. He had a people problem. Rebecca had a parenting problem. But Elijah had a persecution problem. Jezebel sent a message to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me and more also, if I don't make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. Now the them were the prophets of Baal that uh, Elijah had squared off against. Uh, 400 and something prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Well, Elijah won, they lost, and they had all those false prophets put to death. So she's saying, I'm going to do to you what you did to them, and if I don't, may the gods do it to me by this time tomorrow. So when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba. And he came and sat down under a broom tree, and he prayed that he might die and said, It's enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Rebecca despaired of life. Moses despaired of life. Elijah despaired of life. All because they had problems that aren't always unique to humanity. They can actually be quite common. A parenting problem can be common. Some of you parents, even to this day, you have children you're worried about. And your children may be older than me. You're still worried about them. Because once you start parenting, you never quit. People problem. We may not have it on the grandest scale as what Moses had, but maybe it's the workplace, maybe it's school, maybe it's even family. We can have those problems. I don't know that we so much deal with the persecution problem like Elijah and the early Christians did, but we can see how it would be difficult. Elijah is held up as Israel's greatest prophet. When you speak about the coming of the preparation of the kingdom for the Son of God, one of the things that we read about is that one like Elijah will come in Malachi chapter 4. And John chapter 1, when they go to John the Baptist, they ask him, are you the Messiah? No. Are you Elijah? No. And then when Jesus takes his disciples out to Caesarea Philippi, who do men say that I, the son, of the man, the son of man, am? 
Well, some say Elijah or Jeremiah. Notice that theme. Elijah was very important. But even this highly important prophet of God wanted to die, despaired of his life. I'll give you one more example, and then we'll make some application. The last one is Jonah. Now, Rebecca had the parenting problem. Moses had the people problem. Elijah, the persecution problem. But now Jonah's different. He just had a pity problem. It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life for me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Now, the reason I say Jonah had a pity problem is because, you know, God didn't do what he wanted God to do. Jonah had it in his mind. This is what God's going to do. This is what I want God to do. This isn't what I want him to do. And what he didn't want him to do was to be gracious and merciful, slow to anger, loving kindness, uh, relenting from doing harm to the city of Nineveh, who had not a hundred years before this time had been their enemy, who had oppressed the Israelites. I don't want that. I want judgment. I want fire falling from heaven consuming them and everything. So you look at each of these problems, they are legitimate. They can wear a person down. They can be just a little too much. But what I want to make is by way of observation, life is full of valley and peaks. And every one of these valleys came after a mountaintop moment. For example, Rebecca had just secured the blessing of Isaac for Jacob. Now she went about it very deceitfully. But that's what she wanted. She wanted her husband's blessing to go to Jacob. And Jacob had uh, bought the birthright of his elder brother Esau. And because of that, he inherited it. Now, if you're Rebecca, you would think, man, this is great. I've got what I wanted. Here you are up on this mountaintop, but then not long after that, you're down in the valley. Moses had just led this entire group of people in the Exodus, out of the land of slavery, into the land of liberty. They had seen God do all the miracles in the land of Egypt, all the plagues. Imagine seeing all that wonderfulness, all those great things of God, only to get not very far on the other side, and now you just want God to take your life. (coughs) Elijah had faced off against the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, and and Elijah said, okay, let's do this. Let's make an altar and a sacrifice, and uh, we'll, we'll dig a trench around the sacrifice. And the God that answers by fire from heaven will be the true and living God. So the prophets of Baal, they made their sacrifice, and they, they're trying to get Baal to, 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 to do this thing that they agreed upon. And they do it from about morning until midday. Nothing happens. Then they begin to mutilate themselves, hoping that it will provoke Baal to answer by fire from heaven. Nothing happens. Okay, so Elijah takes his turn, and all he does, he he sets up his altar, his sacrifice. He says a simple prayer to God. God rains down fire from heaven, consumes the offering, even licks up the water and the trench around it. 
And now they knew that the Lord God was the true God. And Elijah had shown all the people on Mount Carmel that the God of Israel is the only true and living God. That's one of those, literally, a mountaintop moment. But then Jezebel seeks his life and he's in the valley. Jonah, I guess you could say for the lack of a better term, he preached a citywide revival. God wanted him to go and to preach destruction to Nineveh unless they repented. So Jonah goes in and he doesn't say a lot. He just simply says, 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's all that's recorded as to what he said. And everybody throughout Nineveh put on sackcloth. Sackcloth is very uncomfortable. A friend of mine had some of it uh, when he had gone to the promised land and had asked about it. And it's a very coarse, rough material, very irritating to the skin. And, and, and so they would put on sackcloth for that discomfort to, to show their genuine contrition and repentance. And the king or the governor of Nineveh went so far as to clothe all the animals in sackcloth too. I mean, th- I'm like Jonah. Many preachers would love to go into a city and preach the word of God to have the entire city repent and turn to God. You did something that we only dream of. But because of your bigotry and because of your hatred, you sit outside the city watching and waiting to see if God will actually destroy them. That's why I say he had a pity problem. But in each of these, God gives a solution. Isaac had blessed Jacob, and that blessing carried forth in Jacob's life. It didn't mean that Jacob was sinless and perfect. It just simply meant that the blessing that Isaac had bestowed upon him played out in his life, and God was with him, despite sometimes Jacob's misbehavior. Moses was given help. He didn't have to bear the burden of the people alone, but he was given elders and various others to help him with the running of the nation with the administration of all the things that the people needed. Elijah received rest. He essentially is taken to a place or goes to a place and God provides for him food and God tells him to rest. And so he does. And then he wakes up and God provides him with more food and says, rest some more. And he does. I've got a good friend who, who's made some unfortunate choices and is, and is a year beyond those unfortunate choices and who has done better to better his life. And I've, I've been speaking with him on the telephone through text message uh, just because it's hard for him to talk about it. Um, but he's so guilty from what he's done. He's so ashamed of what he did that he, he wants to die. It's not very often that I've spoken with suicidal people. Maybe I can count them on one hand. But this is a brother in Christ. This is a Christian who who made a bad choice. Bad choices. And the guilt and the shame weigh him down. He just wants to die. So I text him, check on him. How's it going? And sometimes he'll say, bad day. Sometimes he'll say, today's a good day. I tell him I'm praying for him. And we've got a little circle of friends that, you know, check in on him and, and, you know, 
But I hate that. I hate that because of his sin, that's, that's what he wants. But one question that I asked him, I said, how are you sleeping? He said, I'm not. So I told him, I said, you may talk to your doctor, but see if there's some way that in a safe environment that you can get some rest. Exhaustion, physical and mental exhaustion, will really, really tank a person. Elijah needed that rest and he received it. Jonah received a renewed perspective And that perspective was the very thing that he wanted done to Nineveh, God did to him in a manner of speaking. God had given him this, this, I guess you could say, this uh, vine to provide shade in the heat. And then he took that vine away, and now Jonah was suffering under the intense heat of the sun. And God's lesson to him was, you didn't create this vine You didn't provide anything for it. It was simply an act of grace. I took it away and you're miserable. Your misery is what you wanted for the Ninevites. So he received that renewed perspective. Okay, you go back to 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. There's the first thing we should do. Humble ourselves. Not believe we're any more important or special than what we are. Just remember that we are blessed and graced by God to have His love and to have His care. But then, the second uh, passage, verse 7, casting all your care upon Him. So I love to do word studies. Y'all know that I love to look up words and terms and see how else they're, they're used. You remember in Luke when Jesus is about to go into Jerusalem, they call it the triumphant entry of Jesus. Um, all the people were taking their cloaks off and putting it on the foal, this donkey that had never been ridden before. Well, the, the, the word for them taking off their cloaks to put on their donkey is the same word translating as casting all, casting all your care upon him. So you imagine your, your care, your anxiety, it's like taking something off and giving it, laying it on God. It's no longer on you, God has it. But so often what we do We'll take it, we'll, you know, lay it down, we'll cast it on God, walk away, we'll pray about it. God, you have it, it's all yours. Do with it what you can. Then we watch the clock. A day, two days, whatever goes by, and we're like, well, God, you've not handled it the way that I think it ought to be handled, so I'm just going to take it and put it right back on. Right? I'm just going to put it back on. I've not seen the resolution. Here's the thing. God does not answer our prayers according to our will. It's according to His will. Sorry for beating the microphone up. One person wrote, prayer doesn't get our will done in heaven. It gets God's will done on earth. Ah, That's a good reminder. Not only is it His will that gets done, here's what we really hate, it's done in His timing. We're like the J.G. Wentworth commercials. It's my money and I want it now, right? Y'all seen those? I want it and I want it yesterday. That's why we have to humble ourselves. Because when we humble ourselves and we cast those cares upon God, we're saying, I've done all I can do. I'm trusting you to go the rest of the way. And I will trust you. And I ask for peace because I don't know what the outcome is, but God does. 
In the perfect world, it would be a case to where we could pray and our prayers would be answered how we have predetermined they should be answered. But God sometimes sees the bigger picture and He knows what we need better than what we know. You know, our children, they would eat chocolate and macaroni and cheese and drink Coca-Cola and all if we let them. But it's not necessarily good for them, is it? So we got, oh, you got to eat your greens. How many of you grew up going, you eat your greens and then you get dessert or something? Yeah, a few of us. And you know what? Greens are so nasty. You know, that's like a vegan. Vegan, that's an Indian word for bad hunter. Vegetarians, another version of that world. Word, rather. So, but yeah, you got to. You got to eat your greens, then you get dessert. I remember when I was a little, I don't know how old I was, but it was every morning uh, um, when I was visiting my dad, because, you know, my parents divorced, so every other weekend. But if, if, I, if I finished my breakfast, I got candy. And I remember the first time I finished my breakfast, because I usually didn't finish it. But I remember going, Dad, I finished my breakfast, and he gave me a piece of candy. I was a happy as a lark. Well, there you have it. Ignatius of Loyola said, pray as if everything depends on God, work as if everything depends on you. We can do so much, but there are ultimately things, in all things, everything that we should take to God and let Him do with it, because I promise you, He does a better job with things than what you and I tend to do. But as far as it goes to even our worries, our anxieties, the things that steal our joy, that rob us of sleep, Peter says, cast those cares upon God. Why? Because He cares for you. Jesus said it a different way. Ye that labor and are heavy laden. How's the song go? Lean upon your dear Lord's breast. I was quoting the song, not the verse. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and my burden is light. Cast your care on him. God is sovereign over our anxieties. He's sovereign over our fears. He's sovereign over our medical issues, our financial issues, our marital issues, our parenting issues. He's sovereign even over death. And he's demonstrated this by sending his son to die on the cross, who then subsequently rose the third day. Death is defeated. A new world has begun. God cares. So cast your cares on him. And if you want to do so publicly, we'll pray with you today and we'll pray for you and you'll receive nothing but love. Come to the front as we stand and sing.